You're listening to Zen Sandwich, a podcast for the independent mind and anyone who embraces life despite its absurdities. Join former attorney and professor turned Japanese papermaker Mark Reed each week as he talks with creative, inspiring, and influential people, or as he shares his own research to help make your world a little better today than it was yesterday. Despite the obvious adverse effects, there have been a handful of unexpected positives and lessons that came out of the, the global COVID pandemic. Much improved connections and community across social media and Zoom, for instance, or the work from home movement and so on. Well, another way in which the world has uh, reaped a benefit is that the pandemic was the catalyst that transformed my guest today from an accountant of 30 years into a masterfully eloquent writer. Tammy Hader is the author of Walking Old Roads, a memoir of kindness rediscovered. Not only is the premise of the book fabulous, rediscovering kindness in oneself, the, the prose itself is divine. It's very articulate, very precise in language. I often can tell when a writer is just churning something out versus taking the time to choose their words carefully, wisely, even strategically. Tammy does that in this book. I highly recommend it. She joins me now from Derby, Kansas. Welcome, Tammy Hader. Hello. Thank you for having me. And thank you for all those kind words, too. That was very nice. <laughs> I've never heard of Derby, Kansas. Where is that? It is a suburb of Wichita. Okay. Yeah, so, I know yeah, you. I, most, you, most people have heard of Wichita. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I knew you went to Wichita State. I just didn't. I didn't. Mm -hmm. I, I should have looked up where Derby was. I didn't. Um, well, Tammy, the uh, the world doesn't need any more accountants, just like oh, no. <laughs> just like it's <laughs> just like it's moving along just fine without me being a, me being a lawyer. I used to be a, an attorney, but uh -huh. uh, but we do need writing like the kind that's yeah. in your book. I was seriously impressed. So start at how the book came to be, from from concept to you actually sitting down and and writing it. Well, it, it started when I retired from accounting and I, I knew I wanted to do something, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Just something part-time, something a little more fun than accounting. Although, I mean, I enjoy the puzzles of numbers. So that part of it was fun, but it was just time to move on. Mm -hmm. And so I took about a year off and took care of projects around the house and, and just enjoyed nothing for a while. <laughs> yeah. And during that time, I discovered that I really, I really liked making my own flexible schedule and working from home. And, um, you know, so I thought, well, how do you find a part-time job like that? Right. That's going to be tough. You and um, you got to create it, right? You got to. Right. Yeah. And so, Shortly before I retired, my dad had died. So I was also during this year off taking care of my mom and helping her get through that. It was the first time she had ever lived alone in her entire 70 some years. Mm -hmm. So she had a lot of adjusting to do. And so I spent a lot of time with her and we were doing a lot of reminiscing about the past. So I, I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to have someone to reminisce with like that. 
when I get her age, because my husband and I made the conscious decision to not have children. So I thought, well, I should be writing down some things that I can look at when I get um, older. Mm. So that's why the, the idea kind of, I guess, was planted right sure. there. So I started thinking, well, how, how can I turn this into a career? And I remembered that my high school English teacher had written on one of my papers, I love the way you write. So I thought maybe this is a path that I didn't take before that mm -hmm. I should pursue. And I found out about medium.com where you can just write essays and stick them out there and, and maybe even make a few dollars with right. it. So I started doing that and I was, the writing was all over the place. <laughs> it might be about when I was, a child and then what happened yesterday and <laughs> it was everywhere well you no write particular subject and but you write like a seasoned author so i well, I, I would presume that you're well read that you uh, what authors influence you you know i i read a lot when i was a kid and um when i was in high school and college i read quite a bit and I, I enjoyed reading when I was a child. It was Nancy Drew. Oh my God. Every Nancy <laughs> Drew, Hardy Boys, Hardy Boys, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Agatha Christie, any of those murder mystery kind of things. And mm. um, I enjoy uh, Tom Clancy and uh, Dean Koontz. And mm. So lots of different things, scary sure. things, mysteries, okay. pleasant stories. I just don't have any one particular genre right. that I that I really lean towards. But on um on medium, I read other people's work and that's that was really how I studied writing. Okay. Was when I got on medium and I started reading all sorts of things. Fiction, nonfiction, any yeah, cause, genre. Because it can't be on a whim that you write so well. I, I'm not, I don't mean to be, you know, overly, uh, um, you know, complimentary, but it's true. I was reading your book today and I'm just like, wow, this is, this is good stuff. It really well, is. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I just, I, like I said, I kind of studied what I was reading on medium and, and thought, okay, what is it about this essay that I like? Hmm. What are they doing that makes this seem special to me? And then I tried to incorporate those techniques into my essay writing. Right. Right. And so I did that for a couple of years. I did that. And then when my, uh, I went to the eye doctor of all people and he, uh, wanted to know what I was doing. And when I told him, he said, well, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to write a book? <laughs> and that was the first time the idea of a book had even occurred to me. And so I thought, well, I guess that's an obvious route to go. <laughs> So then I started trying to take all those random essays and put them into the form of a book. And it was, it wasn't really flowing very well. Hmm. So I got a, a coaching session with a literary agent for like an hour, a former literary agent. Hmm. And he kind of helped point me in the direction of a memoir versus an essay collection. So then he gave me a list of a, some reading material that I could use to learn how to turn those essays into a memoir. 
So I studied that material for yeah. a while and then, and then started to, to take those random essays and put them together in a chronological order. And I started to focus my writing more on, okay, let's start at the beginning and work our way through the childhood. Yeah. And it uh, just sort of evolved. How long I, I do want to get into that, the, the story itself and about mm -hmm. losing a sense of benevolence and then refining and, you know, rekindling that mm -hmm. part of you. Uh, but before uh, I, one more question, how long did it, how long did it take you from when you decided like, okay, I'm going to put this together as a book, as a memoir, like from start to finish, how long were you writing it? Three years. Three years. Wow. Okay. Three years. Well, I had to study up on yeah how to do it, and then then I sent it to a, a friend that I'd met on uh, Biz Catalyst three hundred and sixty, and he edited it for me, nice. um, and gave me some really good advice. So I had to go through and adjust it again. Right. So I went through the whole book cover to cover, adjusting everything at least a half a dozen times. That's the way to do it, though. You know, <clears throat> uh, Harper Lee the author of To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, for uh, decades, that was the only book she, she wrote, you know, it's a masterpiece and it was the only book she wrote. <clears throat> and when she was asked about it, she, uh, she would respond something uh, akin to, you know, I never knew how much it was going to take to write a book, you know, to do it right, to, to yeah. write, you know, to do it the way she wanted it to be. And mm -hmm. of course, the result is this masterpiece, but it also was so taxing that it just she never wanted to write it. She did eventually write a sequel and it didn't make it as big as To Kill a Mockingbird. But um, but, you know, she she wasn't satisfied with just churning out a book. She, like you, right. wanted to study writing, wanted to do it the right way. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot more involved than people think to, than just sitting down and, you know, typing it out. It is. And. You know, I needed to have a very quiet environment to do it. I mean, I could do, I could create financial statements in the middle of a parade, but, <laughs> you know, writing something very personal, it, it just, I have to get in that, into that zone. Yeah. I hear you. Well, uh, you are from Kansas, grew up there, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Correct. And that's not. It might be geographically far, but not ideologically far from where I grew up in Alabama. So I can relate to growing up in an environment that encourages benevolence and hospitality, being kind, being good to, mm -hmm. to folks that you maybe you don't even know. Right. How did how did you how did you lose touch with that? Well, I I think that the transition occurred gradually over decades by way of, you know, hundreds or thousands of small interactions that were unnoticeable in how they were changing me mm -hmm. in and of themselves, but collectively over time, they just added up. Kind of like when you, um, as you're aging, you know, I things am. change <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so gradually and you don't notice until you look back at a picture of yourself and your hair was all nice and shiny and red and now it's all gray. And <laughs> I found an old picture the other day of, um, you know, I live in Japan and I don't, I don't teach English anymore. I, I do on the side. I teach citizens, uh, senior citizens, but that's neither here nor there. But I, when I first came to Japan 27 years ago now, 
uh, somewhere thereabouts. Uh, I was teaching at junior high schools. I was 21 years old and um, I saw a picture like, and I haven't seen it in years, but I, I found a picture of me 21 teaching and I'm like, wow. oh my goodness. I was, <laughs> was a boy. <laughs> I look like a boy. And, I know. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of what I was going through with the kindness thing. I didn't even realize I was losing it. Yeah. Until just one day. So there was there was one particular incident where I became fully cognizant of what had happened. And that was at the beginning of the pandemic shutdown. Mm-hmm. So I was the designated grocery shopper of the household <laughs> so that only one of us would be exposed <laughs> Oh, you were the guinea pig? <laughs> well, my husband has a full-time job, so okay. he was working from home. I see. And so I, I went out to the grocery store, and, of course, traffic getting there was annoying, as usual. And then I'm in the store, and there's just all this inconsiderate behavior going on around me. And it, it just it felt like we were definitely not in this together. Yeah. yeah. And and then I get in the car and I go back home dealing with the same frustrating traffic. And I just could not wait to get into my garage and mm. just shut myself off from all the mean people in the world. Yeah. So then I go to wash the potential contagion off my hands. <laughs> and, and I looked up in the mirror and I was just so angry. Yeah, I just did not like this person that I saw looking back at me in the mirror. And it was like one of those mean people had had infiltrated my sanctuary. Right. And that's pretty much when I realized that, gosh, you know, society isn't something that I can just point to outside of my property lines. I'm part of it. Yeah. So if the world is getting meaner, it's because average people like myself are getting meaner. Mm-hmm. And the only way to really fix that is one person at a time. You know, I have to fix myself. I can't, I can't educate other people until I educate myself. That's what I always say about my migraine essays that I write is that I can't educate other people about what's wrong with me until I educate myself first. Yeah. I, I I think it's lovely. I think it's beautiful that you're, that you made that transition and that you're, uh, it's not even a transition. It's just tapping back into what was there all along and, and really who you are mm-hmm. as a person. And uh, yeah, I hope more people do that. I hope they discover your book. I hope they discover that about themselves. I think a lot of people feel this way that, yeah, maybe the mm-hmm. world world has gotten a little meaner and there's a nostalgia for a friendlier time when yeah, you know, we were all in this together. Right. And that's, that's something that I just started thinking that my, my parents and my grandparents, my hometown, they didn't raise me to be unkind. Mm. And we were just so much more civil to each other. And, and you, you felt like the, the whole town was yours. I mean, I'm riding my bicycle all over my hometown when I'm a kid. And it's right. like the whole town is, is where I live. Yep. It's a little bit of a Mayberry feel to it, right? Like where yeah. everybody knows everybody and yeah, yeah. 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 I know. I miss yeah. it too. 
Uh, I joke with my wife that she doesn't know the Andy, she's Japanese. She doesn't know the Andy Griffith show, but I, I tell her, I try to explain to her. I'm like, no, look, we live in Mayberry, Japan. Like you don't understand because <laughs> I do live out in the sticks now. So I've, I've, I sort of have had a similar uh, path. I mean, I went a different, different way around, but I've come to the same place that you have in that I had a longing for, you know, a little bit of that. Uh, I, I don't know, just, uh, community feel, down home feel, mm-hmm. you know, friendliness. Um, you I have talked in other places though about, uh, and you talked in so far in this episode about uh, aging, and you've talked mm-hmm. to other places about uh, midlife crisis. How much do you think that this project was also born out of a a midlife crisis? And what what does midlife crisis mean to you? Well, I think a lot of it was probably born out of a midlife crisis, and I think midlife crisis means something different for every person who has it. And for me, maybe it was, um, I didn't miss accounting, <laughs> not even for a second did I miss it, but yet maybe I missed it a little, mm-hmm. you know, because it gave me an identity I see. and purpose. Yeah. And and I didn't really have that as much anymore. Moments that I ever miss being an attorney, uh, the only moments, because generally I don't miss it at, at all. The only mm-hmm. moments were when I was in the courtroom and because I started out as a, a prosecutor, a criminal attorney. And so I was in court all the time. I was in court, you know, four or five times a week. And that's the only thing I miss it. And I think it's, I think you just nailed it and I've never identified it before. It it was my identity. You know, I've mm-hmm. got a suit on, I'm talking to the judge. I'm the only prosecutor in the courtroom. So like everybody wants to talk to me because, well, they're in trouble and they want to make a deal or whatever. And, uh, you know, so there was a sense of importance or something like that. And it was a sense of identity, but I don't actually miss the work. I don't miss right. the, what I was doing. I miss the identity part. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I, this is just a way for me to try to, to regain that identity and 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 part of it is a big part of it actually is that I'm um in this role reversal situation with my mom yeah and she just um she's got a lot more physical problems and some cognitive issues and so mm-hmm. I have to step in and That's and yeah. yeah it is really hard and at the beginning of the writing is when all this started mm-hmm. so Maybe I had a purpose, but I just wasn't ready to claim it as my new identity. It was a very frustrating time, <laughs> very uncertain time for me. Well, so now that, go ahead. The writing just kind of gave me a focus. Well, now that you do have uh, a book under your belt and you, you know, you don't have to repeat all of the learning process again. Uh, right. You, you can probably do it a little quicker on the next one. What are you working on now? So the first book covers from birth through junior high school. So the second book takes up where that one left off. So okay. I'm going to uh, do it about high school and college time. And I'm about, I'm about halfway through it right now. Okay. So it, yeah, it's definitely going faster. I, learned a few tricks along the way and yeah yeah nice um yeah 
Well, uh, Tammy, in in every episode, I do a little segment called Five Minutes Zen. Uh, don't worry, you don't have to know anything about Zen. We don't have to even discuss that. But what I usually do is tailor the question for uh, whomever I'm speaking with and and seek mm-hmm. some kind of practical advice that anybody can implement in their in their lives. And uh, usually I ask something along the lines of like, what do you do on a practical level to stay calm in this world of this mean world <laughs> or this world mm-hmm. of polarization? Uh, do you meditate? Do you drink wine? Whatever it is. However, I've got a different question for you. <laughs> okay. Well, given what you've been through and where you are now, and, and I do think that a lot of people can relate to it. Um, what is your message to the world? And, and how can people... You talk. You spoke at the beginning about, you know, to make this mean world kind again, we kind of have to do it one person at a time. How can people tap back into their benevolent self if they've lost touch? What What are the first steps? The first steps are keep it simple and keep it close to home and um, look up and make connections with the people who are standing right in front of you. Yeah. You know, extending kindness beyond the clicking of an emoji. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you'll be surprised at how good that makes you feel and how it makes you feel like you're more a part of your community, just looking up and making contact. And it's just, we have to be content with not going viral. <laughs> right. Because yeah. it's things that no one's going to whip their phone out and film you. Right. Right. You're not going to be the feel good section of the evening news with this sort of thing. It's just I've watched my mom do this when Mm -hmm. I take her grocery shopping. She will just look people right in the eye as we're walking down the aisle, total strangers, and she'll say something to them. You know, something silly like, oh, I'm not going to hit you with my cart. It's okay. <laughs> well, I'm sorry I'm in your way. Or, or or she'll just smile at them. She'll chat with the cashier for a minute. Right. It's not anything big. It's not anything important. But those people lighten a little. Yeah. You You can see it in their faces. They look up and they connect with her even for just 10 seconds. Right. It might make their whole day, honestly. Just that right. one. Moment. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't know. Yeah. And you, you're never going to know if they take that feeling to the end of the grocery aisle and it's gone, or if they take it with them back to work or sure. back to home. Absolutely. So that's my best advice is to look up and make connections with the people right in front of you. I love it. I, uh, I, I've said many times over on this show that like at the end of the day, by the end of the day, I mean, at the end of this life uh, where we all inevitably head um, it's the experiences, not the stuff you buy. It's the connections you make, it's the relationships. That's the stuff that's going to matter. And if you are, you know, when you are on your, your final deathbed, so to speak, and you're looking back at your life, you're not going to think, Oh, I can't believe I didn't send that tweet. You're not not going to (laughs) care. That's not going to matter one bit. So it's the relationships. It's the connections. I agree. Right. So wave at your neighbors. Maybe chat with them out in the driveway. Yeah. It only takes a few minutes and it can make a difference. 
That's perfect. That is one of the best five minutes ends uh, I've had on this show. I, I promise oh. you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, where can people buy the book? I, I, I know it's on Amazon. Uh, can they get it from your website directly? TammyHater.com? They cannot get it directly from my website, but there are links to where it can be purchased on so, my website. Okay. So Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com okay. are where you can get it. And or they can go to TammyHater.com and read about read some of your blog and, and read more yes. about you. And, and then they can click directly to Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Right. Right. OK, that is I will, correct. I will put that in the uh, in the show notes. Well, uh, that is all, folks. Um, tap back into your benevolent self. If you've lost touch, wave to your neighbor. Um, and uh, and one way to get back in touch is to go by Walking Old Roads, a memoir of kindness rediscovered by Tammy Hader. Go do that first. And then after you do that, if you have a few bucks left over, go to zensandwich.com and you can help out this show. There's two ways to do that. They both work, either through Patreon or PayPal, whatever you're comfortable with. Tammy, uh, seriously, thank you. Thank you for becoming a writer. I know you didn't like give up accounting to become a writer. You retired, I guess, but I'm glad you did. (laughs) I'm glad you're a writer now. And uh, and specifically, thank you for the message that you're putting out in the world. We need more of it. And uh, thank you for your time today. Thank you.